Hello, hello. Welcome to Ami Tuckered Out. I am your host, Ami Tucker Ravel, and today I get to interview CEO and founder of Mango and Marigold Press, formerly known as Birth Babies, Mrs. Selija Joshi. She founded Mango and Marigold Press in 2014, which is a publishing company that aims to fill bookshelves across America with age-appropriate, culturally sensitive, and visually vibrant books that tell tales of brown kids growing up in diasporic communities. Mango and Marigold Press has changed the face of children's literature, diversifying it one story at a time. Their books have been featured on the Today Show, People Magazine, U.S. Weekly, New York Post, and so much more. And her story is fascinating. She literally started this publishing company by Googling how to write a children's book. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Selija Joshi. I love the tattoo. Is that a real tattoo? Yeah, I have a full sleeve. I have a lot of tattoos, actually. Ooh, I would love to talk about that one. That looks fantastic. Yeah, and then I have actually have another one here. So uh, I assume with most, like most people with tattoos, there's a story behind it. Some of them have a story, and some of them are just. Um, I thought they were pretty. <laughs> That's good enough. That's a story. Yeah. Um, and I kind of loved that my tattoo artists, they were like, yeah, that's a reason. That's yeah. a, a tattoo. And I was like, yeah, you're right. They're like, it doesn't, not everything has to have this like super lovely meaning behind it. Like they can just be things you think are beautiful. Right. And, and a lot of people like to express themselves through art. Hi there. How are you? What's her name? This is Ojo. Ojo, Ami over here is saying hello. Hi. You can call me yeah. um, Ami Auntie if you want. Yeah. I know we're all aunties at this point. So wait, say Ojo, what are you? Are you, do you speak Hindi? Are you Guju? No, I'm no. not. So okay. my, I, my family's from South India. I'm Telugu. Okay. Telugu. Okay. And my um, husband's Marathi. So my last name is, um, I, I took his last name and is Joshi. So I get confused for Marathi often. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, but I'm a very proud South Indian, even though his family is like, yeah, we're South Indian. And I'm like, I don't think you are. Yeah. But that's because I'm from further South. And right. I'm like, I think of you as North Indian. I think of Mumbai as North India. Yeah, kind of. So I spent, my whole family's in, in Mumbai. We're Gujarati. Um, and I spent a year in India before I went to law school, living in Bombay on my own, trying to become famous. Uh, don't ask. That's a whole other podcast. And then I spent three years in India recently, not recently, but 2009 to 12 with my husband. So okay. we did we did Delhi for like a year and a half through mm-hmm. his work. And yeah. then we did Bangalore for a year and a half. And I got to oh, say, yeah. I got to say, this is the first time, because usually when we go to India, it's Bombay, 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 that's it. And then Gujarat, Ahmedabad here and there. But um, first time I really spent time in the South and really spent time in the North. And I mean, I hated Delhi and I got to Bangalore and I loved the South for many reasons, I, many I, reasons, I, yeah, but I, the, pe- the people mainly, I mean, it's beautiful and we did Carol, we did that, we did everything. Um, but the culture, culturally, um, everyone always talks about North India, the Punjabis, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, like living there, I would not, I would choose South India any day of the week. 
Yeah. I mean, like I, I grew up, I spent my summers in Hyderabad. That's where my family is from. Right. Um, I traveled a little bit and now more recently when my husband and I go back, we stay with his family. So we're often in Mumbai. Yeah. Um, in chamber, but I happen to, I, I love Hyderabad. Hyderabad feels like home to me. Um, in a way that a lot of these cities, like a lot of the U.S. still doesn't feel like a home to me. Really? Um, yeah, I think I, I spent um, two or three summers in a row there for just like two to three months. You know, my parents basically after like, you know, school would close. Like I'd have a week or two. I would go to India. I'd spend time with my maternal grandparents. I'd live there for months. And then come back for school when school started. Right. Um, now, like I look back on, it was incredibly formidable time for me. But um, it, it was, I, I think that's why, like I got used to the city. Like I yeah. would be like a 13 or 14 year old girl. Like I, and I like shudder to think of it now. Like I would get in autos by myself and travel to places and stuff like that. And, I feel comfortable navigating the city. Even recently when we went there after the birth of my daughter and I was pregnant with my son, we went to Hyderabad to see my grandmother, my paternal grandmother who's there and aunts and relatives. And like, I could take an auto and I could tell him where to go and stuff. And my husband was like, I don't think I could ever do that for like Mumbai and stuff. And I was like, yeah. Um, I don't know. I haven't been back to India post, um, a lot of things. Right. And so I don't know how it would feel for me anymore. I have like a lot of feelings about a lot of things there. So I don't know how or when I'll be going back there, frankly. I mean, I haven't left like a mile radius of my house in easily six to 10 weeks. So. I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I have the same story as you growing up, going almost every summer for months to Bombay. So like you, I could jump in a, a rickshaw in, in in Bombay, which is, you know, yeah, that's pretty, not, that's pretty big. Not, yeah. Um, but I got super comfortable with it. And then, of, of course, living there for a year on my own was a whole other yeah. addition, to, addition to that. Um, but definitely, like, have that strong connection to India and then living again with my husband there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, definitely a great experience growing up there. I mean, not growing up there, but going there, but feeling connected mm-hmm. to it. Um, so then you were born and raised here, though. I was born and raised here in the U.S., so my parents are sort of classic, you know, South Indian story. My dad came here, was sponsored, came here to do his graduate degree. He he did his degree at, like, George Washington University, went back to India, got married. My parents arranged marriage. He got his first job here in Massachusetts, stayed here. I was born a year later, was born and raised in Massachusetts. Um, I spent some time traveling. I spent some time in Ohio, San Diego. I also lived in Germany for two years yep. as part of my graduate degree or part of my um, undergrad degree. And I feel like I had the very stereotypical classical type of in- Indian immigrant experience. Yeah. Um, very pri- like there's a lot of privilege, but also my family. Um, I'm a sociologist by training and studied the South Asian diaspora. And only now can I reflect on like how some of the immigration patterns happened. 
right. and some of the challenges that me and my family had and how they're reflective of like what life was over there in India and things like that. Like my parents didn't have parents who were like helping them put a down payment on a house. My parents yeah. didn't have parents who like my, my parents support helped like sent money back and there aren't, you know, there are plenty of other um, Indian immigrant stories for whom that wasn't true. Like they're like their parents helped them with the down payment payment. Their parents like helped them start out their business and all of those things. So. Right. I think my, so my parents' story is the same. I think a lot of ours are, they, they came on their own. My dad came for grad school as well, arranged marriage, brought my mom over. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you know, until, you know, they, they passed away, my dad's parents always made them feel guilty for leaving, even though, you know, mm-hmm. he, he was sending them, he sent the money and we went there to visit every summer. The Indian guilt was always there. So totally, totally get, get that story. So your parents, I assume were, like a lot of Desi parents were strict, conservative mm-hmm. on all the typical things like dating and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 My parents. So I grew up like, I can very vividly remember my mother saying like America stops at our front doorstep. Like I walked into that house and like my mom would be like, why aren't you, you should change into Indian clothes. And I'd be like, that feels weird. Wow. I don't know why I'm going to wear these like, we- like fancy Punjabi dress, like, you know, uh, yeah. Salwar kameez like here and stuff. Um, we only ate like South Indian food, vegetarian diet. I grew up like knowing all of my Hindu prayers, um, being like fair. I, I don't want to say conservative because I think my parents, especially my mother, right, was very interested in me having conversations and answering questions and questioning everything. Um, but there were like just hard lines that they had. So my on my mother's side, where they're a deeply rooted activist family. My grandfather was an activist in the Indian Freedom Movement. Um, was the editor of. Um, Andhra Pradesh, now Telangana's first free independent press and was so for many years, wrote a lot on political thought and was revered in many ways by in many circles for some very leftist activist thoughts. And so my mother adopted that. So she was never she like she was conservative, but open to questions. Right, right. Which is great. which is which is great, and I think it helped me in a lot of ways, and it helped me in my career and stuff. But I remember my parents were just incredibly disappointed that I was going to become go into business. Like I, my my bachelor's degree is in international business, and my mother was just like, "Oh," and my father, they were like, "Oh God, you're just wasting so much. You could be a doctor." Yeah, I was gonna about to ask you. Was, was, you didn't take the doctor, engineer, lawyer. Like route. I, I, I um. I have five degrees. I have three undergraduate degree, no, two undergraduate degrees and three master's degrees. Yeah. I am. I've got a lot of degrees. I've got a <laughs> lot of degrees. The list. I mean. And my but- mother will still occasionally, like, it's less so now since she's had grandkids. But, like, when I was, like, I was, I, I was in a PhD program and left it. My mother, before, as I was applying, she was like, maybe you should just take the MCATs. And I was like, that ship has sailed, honey bunny. Like, I'm not, you, I should not be opening up anyone's body. I should not be a doctor. And nope. it's okay. Like, yeah. it's fine. We've You're got going to be plenty. fine. You're right, right. And the closest you'll get to needles 
or, or the tattoos, obviously. I think so. Uh, yeah. That, that's it. So yeah, I was going to ask you, you went to Northeastern and then Simmons yep. and then Harvard. So you did the, yeah. you got your degree in German, right? I have, so I have an international business degree and a minor in German. So I speak German fluently. Okay. Awesome. So, why, why German, by the way? It, it was the hardest language available for me to learn and is closely related to Sanskrit. And I had an aspiration for learning Sanskrit at some point. So that's why I chose it. I like it. Good reason. I thought maybe it was because of a boy or something. So that's legit. Nope. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, you, you never know. Um, <laughs> Not at all. So then you went to Germany, you said, during that time. And then, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And then you went to Simmons. I I feel like there was you. Did you work in between, or did you go straight to Simmons? Yeah, I spent most of my time. So once I graduated from undergrad, I was always um, like balancing graduate school with working full time. Right. So I had my own consulting firm for a really long time. Okay. So then you, when you get to Simmons, you study gender and cultural studies and communications. How did you get to that? How did how did that jump happen? Um, I had, so at Harvard, I did my degree in like anthropology, sociology, and I wanted to expand that and really look at the intersection of gender race in preparation for doing my PhD in sociology. And so I went to Simmons college to, they're one, they're local Two, there was a well-known professor there who I really wanted to work with. Um, and that degree prepared me really, really well. Um, I think a lot of the work I do both at Mango and Marigold Press, as well as in my full-time job right. is about questioning and understanding the intersections of identity and helping to challenge that, helping to highlight that layering on and off. So yeah, it's been, um, it was a great move and the communication management piece too, has just really prepared me for developing business plans for right talking at the C-suite level for feeling comfortable and familiar right? and then to challenge people. Well, at this point, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you have an idea or you were just trying to feel everything out? I mean, I was trying to feel everything out. Right. My poor husband's dismay. <laughs> um, I it's was just trying to- they, they deal with us. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I, I think I was just trying to figure it out. Like opening, having a publishing company was never part of the mix until I had my daughter. Yeah. So really quickly, I'm so fascinated by your master thesis topic, desired beauty. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I was really interested in understanding the intersection of beauty and race and how that played out in the South Asian diaspora. Right. Um, And so the South Asian diaspora, like diaspora is like a weird word. It's basically people who identify as South Asian and maybe immediately came, came over in that a generation. Essentially. Right. Right. Um, and I was really interested in understanding that. And so I use beauty as a lens to understand race and how belonging. And what I did was they were like 90 minute to two hour interviews with South Asian women. I sort of asked a series of questions, actually not South Asian, Indi- specifically Indian women series of questions. And then I gave them three scenarios and videotaped them putting on their makeup for that scenario. Yeah. I think I like, I think the project had evolved over many years. Okay. Um, It had started as an analysis of colorism in the media. And then 
I was finding a lot of the colors and pieces that were prevalent in Indian media while those stereotypes were being taken here in the US. Right. My generation was doing something different. You know, they were exploring beauty in a slightly different way. And so I think that's what sparked that interest. And frankly, what came out of it was the like way that women code switched throughout scenarios. So like one, I think the three scenarios I gave was one, you had like a big school or work presentation. Two, you're going out to like a night in the club. And the third was you're attending an Indian event, you know? And so I had women pick one of those scenarios and then they put on their makeup. I like videoed them, but would be like, talk me through it. Tell me what you're doing. And what was really interesting is for like Indian situations, like women would be like, oh, I wouldn't put this bronzer. I would never put this bronzer on. Like, I don't need the aunties telling me I'm too dark. Um, whereas when they were going to the club, like I remember one girl was like, oh, I take this shit and put it all over my face. <laughs> She's like, I want to look like I'm gold and bronze. Right, right. And I was like, that's great. And so like they were learning how to assimilate into this society and to play multiple roles. Right. By visually changing their identities. Right. That's, yeah, that's interesting. You know, uh, I think the most popular product still in India is Fair and Lovely. I know. Right? I, no, I, cringe it's, it's I know that at least the conversations are starting to happen there. Um, but yeah, it's still, it still dominates. So, so then you kind of mentioned this before, but what was your kind of inner narrative about your own identity here? Because I, I know you were saying, Hyderabad kind of feels more like home than over here, even though you're born and raised here. So did you, did, growing up, did you feel like you didn't belong here either? Oh, yeah. I felt okay. like I didn't belong here. Um, I think I'm a very open, bubbly personality. Is like I can remember that being like one of the comments on my report cards. Um, like she's a bubbly personality. She, yeah. she talks to everyone. And, but I like, I never quite felt comfortable in the classroom. Like, I just never did. Like, I always, especially like, I can remember in like high school, I remember there was this moment where a teacher looked at me, like we were, it was world history class. And now we were on the unit of Asia. And I had this time, like, this must've been ninth grade. And so I had, you know, eight years of knowing I was going to represent India at this point. And the amount of questions this professor, like not professor, this teacher was asking me is just so, I'm, you expect me to represent an entire country. Not like somehow, you know, like just like you didn't ask, you know, Sean to represent Ireland. Yeah, because you know, in, India is so monolithic, obviously. So. I know. And like, I had so many moments like that. Right. And, you know, there was always something funny. I, I, and I use the term funny and quotes funny about you. You know, like I knew at the beginning of the class year or the, when there was a substitute teacher, you know, my maiden name's Ganti. So it would go like, what would it go? It'd go Gasparo. Ga, sa, se, 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 and then like the whole class would be like Silaja. 
like, you know, like my entire, like, cause I, I went to a small Irish Catholic high school. Like my, my class, like everyone was just like, get like the kids were like, just get on with it. Like, God damn. Like, why can't you say this name? It's like, um, a, it's a always Anjali moment, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like one of the deep reasons I, that book resonated in so many ways with us, but I think what's fascinating, it would not, what's fascinating, what's like, not surprising is it's not just the silages, the amis of the world. It's like the Darius and everyone, you know, those like so many communities right. have that moment of right. not being seen. And we're just trying to expose that yep. so that we can change the narrative and conversation. Right. I mean, my name is three letters. And I'm like, how are, how is this hard? I don't understand. And I, I fully admit growing up, because I grew up in a pretty much Caucasian neighborhood, mm -hmm. I would be too scared to correct people, you know, when I was Really? Up. Yeah. As, as a kid in high school, I just wanted to fit in. Um, even though I had a very strong tie to our culture, to Hinduism, we went to Hindu, uh, Hindu classes every Sunday. So it wasn't like I was disconnected. But when I was in that environment during Monday through Friday, I kind of just wanted to let it be and not, mm -hmm. not have my voice heard for whatever reason, out of fear or whatever it is. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting to not be seen yeah. and to not be normal and to always have to activate. Right. always have to correct to always have to stand up right and sometimes you're just like f it fine call me yeah. salija like yeah yeah just it's fine or just don't call me at all it's it's fine right. well yeah. then 20, 25 years later i'm now doing a podcast on south asian so some, some, <laughs> something about it all connects <laughs> so then after college um i was reading you worked at multiple startups to you know oh. you kind of worked on brand identity um and you were or still are at Accenture? Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. So I, I am at Accenture. I have a full-time job. I, I think I'm very transparent about it. Yeah. Um, I am, in addition to being the CEO and founder of Mango Miracle Press, I work full-time as a design strategist with Accenture. How are you standing up? Like that's, okay. Anyways, continue. <laughs> it's well, exhausting. This is why yeah. I have like community. Um, it's exhausting, but frankly, again, like I didn't have the economic capital, the wealth capital to just have a company and not take a salary. I live in an expensive part of the United States. My, hus my husband's a professor. Um, people are always like, oh, professors make all that money. And I'm like, Cool your jobs. <laughs> Calm down. It's fine. Well, I, I, I like, and my, from, for me and my husband, it was very important for us, our kids to have a different type of education. Like we wanted, they were both in Montessori school and we wanted them to become, to cultivate creative thinking um, and problem solving. And we weren't sure we were going to get that in the school district we were in. Right. And so, and I wasn't willing to give that up. Right. As you, you know, I think I probably could have, I, I mean, I could have, but only more recently because you still have to pay for childcare. And honestly, my paychecks go to ch like, go to childcare, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think, I think that's common with a lot of us. So yeah, 
I mean, you're building a business too. So you have like four, you have like 14 jobs, my friend. Um, um, I do a lot. Yeah. Um, as yeah, my I'll therapist have- tells me, she's like, you're doing a lot. Maybe you should stop something. And I was like, I can't stop anything. Good for you, by the way, for going to therapy. I I think we all need we all need it seriously. My therapist right now is my cleaning team. So, but I think I need to. Yeah, I love my therapist. It's one of the things I started. I did it. I've done a couple of self care things in 2020. Good. Um, I was reflecting last year. Like I, some posts I posted last year around this time came up recently. And I was looking at it and like, it was talking about what I wanted to do in the next decade. And what I wanted to do in the next decade was to find like, was to, I think it was like protect my body, like to nourish my body and to find strength. And therapy was part of that. Um, I found like a regular fitness regime, which has been really wonderful for me. And so all of those things have been really good, but like also there are plenty of things that are exhausting. Yeah, but look, at least it's a start. Otherwise, you, yeah. like, we will collapse if we don't do anything for ourselves. Oh, yeah. Exactly. For sure. Or get in a fight with your husband about dishwashers or whatever. So <laughs> so then um, you're pregnant with your first child. And, you know, in a lot of your interviews, you've, you've, you've mentioned that you were building like her library and you realize, okay, there's a lack of books geared towards Indian American children. Yeah. Um, and there's a void and you're like, what the hell? What is this? And so this was your inspiration uh, to start initially what was called Bharat Babies. Yeah. So it took some time. Like I was pregnant with my daughter and right. I was just starting my PhD program in sociology. I was like on this career track to be a sociology professor. Or that, that's what I thought I sort of wanted to do. Okay. And, you know, I didn't see these books. And I complained about it. Like, I just spent a lot of time complaining about it. And then finally, I was in this car ride with one of my classmates, who's still a friend now. And I was just telling her about, like, I I was like, oh, there's these series of books, like, about these history things and this, but I don't see anything for me, like, for my Ojo. And she's like, so why don't you do something about it? And, like, those (laughs) famous words. You're like, okay, fine. I was like, fine, I guess I will. <laughs> um, but like, I can remember pumping and like Googling, like, how do you write a children's book? And then like posting in one of my mom's groups, like anyone here have experience like in children's literature? And it just went from there. I got, a, I tried writing a children's book and I couldn't. It's not that I couldn't. It's just like at that time, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Like it, that wasn't it. Right. Um. And so I got $1,000 of seed capital from Northeastern's prototype fund. I left my PhD program and started to develop the illustrations with a phenomenal illustrator, Tim Palin. Um, I'm working on the manuscript with Amy Moranville for Hanuman and the Orange Sun. And that was, that was, that's the story, you know, like that's what started it. And it definitely started as me very selfishly wanting my daughter to see herself on the cover of books. And it very quickly grew to being more than just like Hindu stories about Hindu kids right? to being stories of the everyday stories of the extraordinary stories of the South Asian community. Like that quickly became my mission and vision. 
Yeah, the kids doing like cool day-to-day things. So yeah, I was going to ask you, you started initially uh, with books that focus more on religion and cultural stories. Was that just because you're so connected to it or was it just easier to do it that way? I think I think it's because I was connected. Like I grew up going to Hindu camp as well. I was pretty active in a variety of different Hindu activists circles intersection like interfaith circles so right. i think that was like just naturally where i went and like frankly that felt like the easiest lean in yeah it does you know right um and it started there and it also since i wasn't writing the stories i was i mean i quickly started to get submissions and stories too yeah and that's and it just grew from there. But yeah, and I think you see less of when you look at some of our newer Hindu stories, like Hanuman Moves a Mountain, yep. they get dovetailed. You know, there's like this lesson for Harney, which is like about her putting away her toys. At the right. end. Like, it's a right. very simple one. But it's, it's a very great. important I, one. So it's good. Very, very important yeah. for all you children listening. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what are your toys? I hope children aren't listening to this. It's rated our podcast, but um, yeah, no, <laughs> so too. So yeah, so you started kind of focusing on that, and then you know, I read Always Anjali to my kids last week. I interviewed mm-hmm. Sheetal, um, and then you, ha- you started shifting, uh, like you said, sharing tales about kids just doing day to day things, cool things, fun things, making them a normal fabric of society. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I tell our auth- prospective authors, illustrators, current authors and illustrators, like I want the stories of the everyday and the extraordinary, right? the right. magnificent and the mundane. And um, our senior editor, Amy always is like, so I told you, we don't want mundane stories. And I was like, I kind of want just like a story of a kid walking down the street. Right. That is a South Asian kid. Yeah, that's it. It doesn't have to be focused around the volley or holy or any of that. Just one of us walking down the street as a kid. Wow, like our kids walking down the street. Yeah, like playing in the snow, like getting a new bike, like just everyday kid things. Like I think the time has come. The time is now, and that's why the Anjali series is so exciting to me because it's kids doing kid things and their Indian identity. Isn't isn't the story? Isn't the story it's something right. else? It's part of it, but not the main main story. Exactly. So, question about your authors: How who do you decide decide to work with? And out of all your authors so far, are they all first time writers, or are these people that have been writing? I think all of them have been writing in some capacity. Okay, um, but I think very frequently I am their first on their first contract like I'm the first person who pays them okay you know to write so I think actually I I would venture to guess all of our authors are debut authors like when they sign with me they are debut right their debut picture book um uh maybe not Nidhi I think Nidhi Chinani is probably because she had her graphic novel with us uh prior to this so I think it's maybe it's mixed maybe it's mixed now that I'm reflecting on all my authors and illustrators right um and the way we select them the process has morphed time over the time I get a lot of submissions monthly okay um a lot (laughs) it's pretty overwhelming I have to like put aside time just to read that's exciting though right it's wonderful. Like yeah. I, it's a wonderful problem to have. Yeah. I feel very blessed to have it. And we, 
first it's like, you know, some of it is a business piece. Like I think about like, who's the author? Like what kind of book are they pitching to me? How does it fit into the mix for whichever season I'm acquiring for? Then I look at the content, right? You know, like what is the story they're trying to tell? Yeah. And then, um, and this is true within like, across publishing, whether you're part of the big five or you're part of a small indie press, I need an author who's going to hustle. Yeah. You know, like you need to be willing to sell your work. You need to be willing to share your story. And if you're not willing to do that, your book is not going to succeed, whether it's with me or whether it's with Penguin. Right. Right. You know, I need you to do the hard work. And that's, I'm very upfront with that. Okay. Because, um, there's no reason to lie. But you have to be, it's a business. Do you kind of recognize that by gut feeling after talking to someone? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Because you're getting getting so many submissions. So obviously. I a hundred percent at this point can sort of tell and understand the cadence of an author. Okay. um, And how they're going to work. So how many current authors do you guys have right now? A lot. A lot. Okay. Definitely over 10, maybe 15 to 20. We've and acquired th- some new ones. Okay. Recently and that we haven't announced. So yeah. That's exciting. And that doesn't include our like anthology series where we have 30 debut authors there. That doesn't count. Yeah, I know. Girl, you're busier and busier. Why the change of name? Yeah, it's a great question. So when we were looking to expand our offering, like not only the communities we represented, but also the physical books that we had. Got it. And Barth Babies was really limiting in that like people, like even people with toddlers immediately would be like, oh, but Mikey's a toddler. I, I can't get this book. And I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about, Michael? Right, right, of right. can get this book. Yeah. You know, so that was one piece. And Barth, you know, means India. Mm-hmm. And I was looking to represent and start sharing the stories of Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bengal. And Again, like it was just right. limiting in that way. So moved over to Mango and Marigold Press, which allowed us to not be limited by geographies, not be limited yeah. by like age range or anything like that. You know, I can't imagine having like a wide young adult book and having, you know, like Barth babies on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just wouldn't connect. So Mango and Marigold was really great um, and much more holistic. It just, yeah, it just opens up the umbrella much more, yes, which exactly. is what you need, which is what you need to do to grow. Um, and then you guys have four c- categories, board books, illustrated books, early reader series and art series. Is that correct? Yeah. And then I, I would expand that to include our anthology series and middle grade. So I guess it's like six categories now. And do you, do you decide these categories or is this like common in all publishing houses? It's pretty common in all like those categories of sort of publishing industry terms. Got it. I would say, um, and how we do our mix is, is definitely up to me. We've sort of shifted away from using the art series when we did that, that series, the vision was sort of to create those beautiful coffee table books that like, right kids could look at too but like you know if say you were like an adult with no kids you could also purchase it yeah and feel really good about having it on your book table or on your coffee table excuse me and we have like one or two of those books but like put it this way if an artist or illustrator came to me with it i'd consider it (laughs) got it got it Uh, we're coffee table book people so i think that's kind of cool 
So it looks like the yeah the brand is growing at a rapid pace. I I think you guys were I think I read somewhere you guys were working towards audio and bilingual books. Yeah, we have audio. We have some audio books recorded, and I'm excited to release them. We've actually had them for a year or two now, maybe even longer. Okay. Um, and just breaking into that space has been a little overwhelming. So I'm it. I'm sure. Given that I'm doing a lot. Uh-huh. Um, Bilingual, the language books are really exciting and I want to expand into more and more languages. Okay. Um, one of the challenges though is in, no Indian speaks one, like India doesn't have one language really. Um, like I don't speak, I, I took Hindi lessons for quite some time and I have an understanding of it. I have a reading comprehension of it, but like you could hand me like a Devnagari book and I would be like, all right. Right. Yeah, sit down for two hours to right. get with my kids right. to open a book. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess if you were to choose something, Hindi would make the most sense. I think Hindi I think Hindi will make the most sense and we'll probably start there given that it is like one of the national languages. But yeah. um I wish there were an easy way to do it. Easy way to do it. Uh, nothing when it relates to India is very simple, right? No. Um and then plans for a TV show? That would be amazing. I would love that. Okay. I don't know if and when that ever will happen. All right. Um, I think media, that's like a natural progression. And that right. is something for, I think, that will likely, like, that won't be something that a publishing house will do. We, I early on, I had considered us being like a media, media. entity, mm-hmm. just like general media. And that had, I, I decided... That was again. That was just too much for me to manage. A lot. That's like a whole. It's a lot, and it's like another industry that I knew nothing about. You know, I was like, I shouldn't get. I shouldn't try to do that. Well, but, it's pretty impressive that you are running a publishing company and had never done anything with it before. So that's. I had amazing. no background in publishing, and that is the only reason I started a publishing house. Because yeah. frankly, I think anyone. Anyone who has this experience would have been like, oh, honey, no. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Let's go sit down, beta. It's fine. We've yeah. been like, oh, sweetie, you don't. Here, here's some cha with some bourbon. You're fine. Yeah, um, you'll be fine. So in terms of this year, so I, I read something that you said. You said, uh, you know, the Trump presidency obviously has been a son of a bitch. Um, and uh, Bharat Babies, Mango and Marigold Press, this is kind of your form of protest, is what you yeah. said, which is fantastic. Like your way of getting our stories out and saying, yes, we belong here as well. But- yeah, I talk. A, yeah, I was gonna say I talk a lot about. Um, I I come from an activist background. I come from an intersectional race theory background, and so a lot of these issues are very deep in my heart. Um, and my protest work is not like in the sh- in the streets. Like I am not someone who you will see at a protest. One, because I actually have a fear of crowds, but two, that's just not, that's not how yeah. I, I, I have to do it by actions. And so I decided that Mango and Marigold is my, is, is my protest. Protest and contribution. Is, and yeah. Right. And it, it, and it truly is me like climbing against giants in right. the publishing space who dominate the narrative who dominate the top 10 list who dominate in every single way. Right. Because I'm 
I am no longer interested in not taking up space and not allowing and like these stories not taking up space. Right. And They're then here to be told. I'm assuming seeing uh, Gamala Auntie in office now, I mean, it has to validate your mission. I think it validates a, a lot of things. You know, she is a black woman, like raised by an Indian mother. I think that's how she prefers to be identified. And it's phenomenal for my daughter to like not understand the way I grew up and seeing only white people yeah. running her country. Like there's nothing that brings me greater joy than that. My daughter to not understand why this is, it sounds very silly, but for her to see this and be like, yeah, and like, like, duh, like why doesn't this happen? Right. That in and of itself is really powerful to me. Right. Because she doesn't exist in a, that's not the world she exists in. Cause yeah. we and people before us have worked really, really hard to change it. To change. So that. like, I get like one of the questions I was asked once in an interview, a woman was like, so how does your daughter feel to see books that look like her on the bookshelf? Like, what does it mean to her? And I was like, she doesn't know anything better. Yeah. Because of the work I did. Which is amazing. That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, like she, like you could ask her that question and she'll be like, oh, is this not normal? Yeah. Like, why why is this a big deal? Yeah. Like that's her response. Totally. that's what I want to happen. So I think, you know, like we watched, we don't have like live TV or a lot of the other media things. So like we watched the acceptance speeches and like my husband and I, like we knew the brevity of this moment. And she like Kamala Harris came on stage and she's like, hi, I am Kamala Harris. You know, I'm like your VP elect and the crowd's like, ah, I know. And I'm like, I'm like in tears. And Ojo was like, her name's Kamala. And I was like, yeah. She's like, huh, she looks a little bit like me. And she just went on making some Legos. And I was like, that's why you're doing this. I was like, yeah, that's like that. that." And I think that, I think that's really valuable. That's really beautiful. That validates the mission. Um, Anya's response, my seven-year-old was I asked her, how do you feel that a Indian woman, you know, half, half black, half Indian woman's going to be in the White House? And she said, yeah, who, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want an Indian girl in the White House? I was like, yeah. word. All right. <laughs> Move on from that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, okay. <laughs> like, duh, mom. That conversation about like representation, about this being a moment, that is right. for us adults, us first generation. Right. Um. And for our for the second gen, for the third gen, they're just like, mm. yeah, yeah, thanks guys. Um, did you see that SNL skit when uh, I forgot who who it was? Who plays Kamala? Maya Rudolph. Not Maya Rudolph. She was after you know the speech um, that SNL that that night Saturday night. She was talk. She was she was Kamala saying, "Oh, if your mom, if you see your mom dancing and crying, it's probably because she's drunk." And if you see her, like, <laughs> did you see that part? I was like, that was so. I haven't. She was talking about like how all the like the Indian and and black moms were probably all just wasted <laughs> that night it. out of I joy. It. It's a fantastic clip. You should watch it. So the past year, COVID, we talked about a little bit this uh, at the beginning of the interview. Um, how has it been for the business? It has been really, really hard. 
Um, so early in the pandemic, Amazon, who is my arch nemesis, um, <laughs> I call them the good group. for you. <laughs> I call I call them for what it is. I'm very I'm a very candid person. Um, I like it. I like it. They I vacillate between them and Facebook, being whom I refer to as the evil empire. And anyways, they, so they prioritize essentials, like home essentials, um, and stopped taking any book orders. A lot of bookstores, indie bookstores, larger bookstores also stopped fulfilling new orders or even existing orders. A lot of bookstores shut down, a lot of small businesses shut down, and a lot of consumers started to donate in really big ways to organizations that were doing work on the ground. Right. Great. It just meant there wasn't a lot of disposable income. We had one of our books that's like won three awards so far, Finding Ohm, was slated to release in May. The author who was is originally Rashmi was in the UK at the time. She had to and was planning to move over. She had to halt all of her moving plans. We had to push out the release date um, and just like figure out a new norm. And I talk a lot about how at this time I could have naturally just been like, you know what? I'm closing down shop. Right. I'm closing down shop. It's going to be fine. And people would have been like, yeah, I get it. Like, it's hard. How are you going to navigate? You're not going to, you can't do this. You can't do that. I get it. And I was an asshole. <laughs> it was like, you know what? I'm going to acquire some more manuscripts. I'm going to do a pre-order campaign every single month, starting in July. I'm going to release an entire new product line. I'm going to sign more contracts and just go with it. I don't think you're being an asshole. I think you're being a CEO. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Like maybe it was like an optimist. I don't, I don't know. Like I refused to, for that yeah. to be the reason I quit. Right. I like, I think there will, um, I'm someone who like deeply believes in my gut and intuition Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, I was like, I'll know when the time has come for me to stop doing what I am doing. Right. And this isn't that moment. And so what we did is we <laughs> doubled down um, and we worked even harder with our 1001 Diverse Books campaign because so many children were out of school and there's such this immense literacy gap, word gap with, especially in communities, lower income communities. And so we have actively and aggressively donated to teachers, to schools, to city districts, um, a lot of times alongside food donation campaigns, like meal campaigns, right? to get kids the books, to get kids new books that feature people who look like themselves. That's amazing. So that's the 1001 Diverse Book Initiative, correct? Yeah, that's our 1001 Diverse Books campaign. And how can people get involved with that? So if you look on our site, like um, each one of the books that new books that we've released is part of the 1001 Diverse Books campaign. Okay. For $10, you can sponsor a book and it will go to a community or organization in need. I purposely leave that very, very vague. Sometimes we work with larger nonprofit organizations like Behind the Book, which serves the New York City population. And other times it is like a teacher who works in the inner city of Philadelphia who has somehow found my name and I was like hi my classroom could really use like 20 books and I'm like cool here you go we try to leave it open so that we can serve as many people as possible and I 
who who identify the need themselves. Right, right. And then, so going forward, are there any future projects you can talk about or some uh, anything that people should be watching out for? Yeah, so we have really exciting stuff that we are doing. Um, you know, there's the second Bravo Anjali book, which is part of the Anjali series, which is really great. It's the first like picture book series that features features a South Asian character like hero and a heroine at that. It's really exciting. And I know you, you talked to people too. That's a phenomenal book that we're really excited to see. Our first middle grade book, Ran the Blood of Nectar, will be out in May. I am a big fantasy geek reader and this is the book like 12 year old Silaja would have just like died for and yeah. I cannot believe I get to have something to do with it we also have and this book is going to be coming out in summer of next year but a really phenomenal series or a series of sort of poetry prose that explores identity that's written by Dr. Gayathri Sethi she's on Instagram as like Basie Book Auntie she constantly is providing really great, um, like diverse book recommendations, representation across the gamut. And her series of poetry and prose is going to be coming out in next year, summer of next year. Creator campaign is in March. Um, and that series, I, I was just like re-looking at the manuscript recently and I was just like, God. This is going to be so good. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so good. And that's like very much meant for like, um, I don't know, like the 20 year old, hmm. you know, the 20 year old, like basic South Asian woman, man, non-binary folk right. who are like just sort of re coming into your identity. Like I think during puberty, you found your identity. And then after college, you sort of refine that identity and your thirties may, maybe are sent like sort of, re-exploring that cementing it I, I am just very excited for the series I think we're always I feel like every decade I'm finding myself again and again I know frankly yeah. I was like I don't I, I yeah. was like I think I'm, I'm still, still finding myself I know I'm still like what am I doing with my life it's totally fine who am I again yeah. I don't know yeah. but I think um yeah like frankly uh, like our anthology with brown girl magazine um untold stories which has been an amazing partnership I think like it, it shipped like to my house. Like I think it's shipping from the printers this week or has shipped. And so now like every time, like I'm eagerly going downstairs to see if I'll be able to get a pre, like I have, cause I had like a couple of books shipped. Well, that's how we connected with, uh, through, through Neha, through our mutual friend. Yeah. And out of curiosity, how, how did you guys pick those authors or those writers? So we came into that process much later in the game, much oh. later in the stage. Okay. You know, I think actually it was like around this time, Trisha messaged me and I, I was one of Brown Girl's first like bloggers, contributors way back when, like okay. actually probably a full decade ago. Okay. Um, and so Trisha and I had always kept in touch. Like we've done work with them. They posted stuff, all of that. We're like just friendly. She's a wonderful human. Right. And she was like, oh, do you mind if I like have like an hour conversation with you about the publishing process? And I was like, sure. Let's absolutely chat. And so we talked and she was telling me about this and I was like, do you want to bring it to my publishing house? And she was like, what? And I was like, you know, we're, we're like, we hadn't announced our brand change, our identity change or anything like that. I was like, we're about to do this. And I feel like it could be a really good fit. And so we talked for a long time. 
And it finally came to our publishing house. But like their team, Comedy and Gabby, Gabby, excuse me, who are the editors, they hand selected those authors. They read those stories. They provided edits like Comedy and Gabby. My God. No kidding. Labor of love. Like I can't imagine the time those two had to do that. And um, that book is amazing. I am so deeply proud of that and proud of the authors too, for sharing those like deep, deep stories. Yeah. I need to check that out for sure. And it had obviously had told me about it. Um, But yeah, that's, that's awesome that you're doing such a diverse selection of books with, you know, through your company. Um, I'm going to do a fast round. Okay. Whatever comes to your mind. Oh, God. Okay. Careful. Who would you like to work with that you haven't yet? Hassan Minaj. I just think he's got an interesting children's book up his sleeve. I think that would be pretty amazing. What is the best advice you ever received? Don't let perfection like ruin progress or stand in the way of progress. Something like that. Agreed. What is the last book you read? Um, Saumya Dave's A Well-Arranged Marriage. I think I'm mixing up the title. A Well-Behaved Indian. I'm so sorry, Saumya. I really loved it. But like right now I'm reading a book that has some a marriage in the title. So I think I'm confusing both well, of them. We'll, we'll write it on the notes. Don't worry. Thanks. One story about one of your tattoos. Okay. Um, my latest tattoo, which I got in the summer is a marigold. Um, and I got it just because I love marigolds. They're one of my favorite flowers. I have a lot of deep connections to them and it's also the name of my press. That makes sense. See, that's a good story and it's pretty, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. Are, are any of these tattoos drunk tattoos? No. No. Last question. Yeah. What advice would you give to your younger self? You don't need more going out clothes. And you don't need another coach bag. Uh, that's a good one. You don't need either one of them. Save that money for um, childcare. Hashtag. Yes. Save that money. Save everything for childcare and a cleaning crew. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that yeah. makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. I Thank you so much for doing this. This was so much fun. It was so uh, much fun. You know what? I, I'm going to... You know what? Maybe I will write that children's book I have in mind. Let me get back to you on that one. Guys, please follow Selaja at Mango and Marigold Press. She has some great projects coming up this year and doing some fascinating work. As always, you can follow moi at Amitagurt Out. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. This is Amitagurt Out. Out.